Do you still have some ornaments from your Christmas tree from when you were a kid? Have you made new family traditions to add to those from your family? Is Christmas a brunch meal day or is it a big dinner day? Or is it both? Liberty Podcast, episode 221, Food and Freedom, once a week for life. Hello folks, Dan Reed here. The Kindle version of my cookbook is a perfect last-minute gift. There's no wrapping, there's no pieces to step on, don't Legos, plus you might get some tasty meals out of the deal. Give a copy of Cooking for Comfort to those on your list. Uh, from Amazon. All right, so the last show before Christmas, and if you don't celebrate Christmas, the questions at the beginning probably don't relate to you, but I'm sure there is some kind of family tradition you keep, and so um, at least in that respect, it's somewhat relevant. When I was eight, that was in 1972. You can do the math. My sister and I were awakened. Now, it's been a while since I don't have all the exact details quite right, but I think our, our neighbor or our friend woke us up to say that my parents had to go to the hospital. Well, I don't think we were really surprised by that. We sort of expected that to happen. We just didn't know when. Uh, on Christmas Day, 1972, my brother Mark was born. Now, when you're eight, I suppose the miracle of birth isn't quite as amazing as it is when you're 28 or 48. But the thing that was particularly cool for us, other than getting a brother, was the hospital sent him home in a Christmas stocking. Now, it's bigger than the ones most of us hang wherever it is we hang them, usually the mantle. Uh, it, was, it was big enough to hold an infant in, you know, swaddling. Uh, and it came with a wee little cap. And I, I know that my sister-in-law still has the stocking. We used it that was, <laughs> that was Mark's stocking forever. Um, and for a very long time, that wee little cap was safety pinned to the front. Now, I don't know if over the course of the, the years it has disappeared, but... Um, the one thing you don't ever think about when a new baby comes home is not seeing that baby as an adult. And a couple of years ago, my brother passed away from cancer. So it's a sadness and it's a happiness of the, you know, how these things go. Life is complicated. When 
when so at that same house when I was young and probably younger than when my brother was born my dad went to night school he was uh, working on his master's degree for social work and he went to the University of Detroit so that was a bit of a drive from the sticks of the suburbs and we were <laughs> way out there at the time um, still just as far just seemed farther then and so didn't have a lot of money, you know, because being a student. Uh, and I think I've mentioned before that uh, for ornaments one particular year, uh, and walnuts were always a Christmas thing in my house. And I, I don't, I, I've looked for it before. There's, there's something European about it. I think I talked about it on the walnut episode. But walnuts and oranges were a very big deal for my mom in, in stockings. Um, since we didn't have affluence, I think in part she thought that uh, walnuts were affluent for into the new, as well as tasty, but something, some, you know, a, a blessing. So anyway, so we, we had this bag of walnuts and we very carefully cracked them open, took out the nut meats inside and glued them back together with a little piece of ribbon in the seam, so then it could be hung on the tree. But we spray painted them uh, red and blue and green. Maybe it was tempera paint. Oh, that's probably right. It's probably tempera paint. And while it was still wet, put put glitter sprinkles on it and let them dry. And that was one of two homemade ornaments we made that year. The other homemade ornaments we made were pieces of. Well, it's 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 not cardboard. I don't even know what it is. It's just thick, thicker than cardstock. Think like double thick Manila folder. I mean, it's pretty rigid, but it's not too thin, uh, not too thick. Anyway, this particular piece of cardboard we cut in a couple of shapes of round, a couple of rectangles, a couple of triangles, and then one star for the top of the tree. Spray painted them. No glued macaroni. Um, I think some of them had radiators, some of them, a lot of them had elbows, some of them had um, shells. Uh, let that dry and then spray painted them gold and then maybe even glittered on them too and then glued a piece of, not glued, taped a piece of thread on the back um, and then that was the other ornaments we made there. It was 1969 because I could visualize the back of one of them. She wrote the date on the, uh, the, the pasta ornaments. Um, and so these many years on, I still have some of those. Now, the star is long gone, or at least long gone for me. It's possible that my sister or brother has it, but the, I have a few of those. Pasta decoration, uh, decorations is wrong, ornaments, and there isn't a lot of pasta remaining, but it's kind of impressive that there's any at all, uh, and those those little pieces of, of thread are still stuck on in, with the original tape, which I think is kind of impressive, and so those... The, the kids hang them, but it's there's yeah, because because I was a kid, 
you don't have a lot of sense of the world that you do when you're adult. There are just aren't adult problems when you're four, five, ten. And I I like I like remembering that fairly simple time sitting at the dining room table with my mom, my dad's at school, and we were making ornaments. It was it was I don't know what was in her thoughts. Uh, I just know that she wanted to have something nice for the tree, and it was a good project to do with a kid. And, and I, I, I liked it. It was it was a fun thing to do. We used to make. Um, I don't see people do this anymore. Paper chains. We used to make them in school. We spent the whole day go through. I don't know how many reams of construction paper. People, everybody would make fifty feet of construction paper chains, and at home we would string popcorn on thread with cranberries and it would be just a lot of popcorn, a lot of sewing, a lot, a lot of little teeny bushes and pokes and ouches and I don't We eat pop, well, the kids eat popcorn, but we don't do that. I don't see anybody do that. I don't know if that's a thing anymore, but it was, it was kind of fun. It was a, so now we still hang the tree and we, Still have all those. They still make a few ornaments, but it's just, you know, it's more more of a kid's thing, I think, than adult thing. And even seemed to be the case back then. But my mother loved Christmas. When when, when they became a thing, she she <laughs> she was an ugly sweater girl. She was. She had a battery operated Christmas sweater that blinked green and red lights and she just she loved the holiday she loved um, she loved the generosity she liked the uh, people change a little bit people become a, until you go shopping you know finally his basement's closed but until you go shopping anywhere people are pretty tolerant until it's you know it's my TV um, but she she liked she liked this the she liked to attend to people. That's why she was a good nurse. Maybe those two things don't go together, but I think that they kind of do. Um, she she liked she liked to to do. She also liked done for her, but Christmas was fun for her for a lot of the reasons that she got to she got to ha have that and have and she, boy the pageantry holy moly she loved just the stuff and the the decorations and the i think i think the attitude of christmas and the goodwill toward mankind thing meant something to her and and the food now i've commented before maybe not on the show but I I think, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really know if your mom's a good cook or not. And my mom wasn't a bad cook. Um, but the the line where gourmet meant fancy, and where the line where gourmet started was, was, was not too very far away. And the one thing that she couldn't do is she couldn't cook a fish for nothing. <laughs> oh, you know, cook it and then cook it some more and then cook it some more just to make sure. So 
fish wasn't particularly good. I mean, fresh fish. Fish sticks, you can't really screw that up. Um, chicken was cooked dead. But, you know, we didn't want for food. We ate quite well. And we very healthy people. So it wasn't that wasn't the problem. It's just as, as I got more into food and got a bit more particular about what was possible, I never didn't eat her food. In fact, I had an aunt who, uh, while I was in culinary school, flat out refused. She fed me my whole life. She flat out refused to cook for me because I was in culinary school. Well, we got through that, but it was a bit of a surprise. Um, when when we dispersed, as the kids will do that, and I think all of us ended up, I was, we all ended up in different places. Uh, my sister was in New Orleans at the time, and my brother and I were in different parts of Florida. So my mom rented a, pl a place in a town called Cedar Key, a really big, con really big condo. And the spread, oh my God, we were there for a week, and everybody came. It was a big deal. It was the familial big deal because my dad, who, um, when I was 10 ish, maybe, they, they divorced. And um, so he, we were always in contact, but he came to Florida for the party, for the, for the Christmas week. And, so that was the first time probably in ever since he left that we had all uh, been together again, I think. So that was kind of a big deal. But the, the, the food and the just, you know, simple stuff. Sandwiches, um, the breads and the spreads and the fillings and the garnishes and the desserts and holy crap, the desserts and just, and the ingredients and cook and cook and cook and cook and eat and eat and eat. Just gluttony was fabulous. <laughs> it was, it was, it's kind of in, in some little way, that's one thing that I still have kept about Christmas. And um, it's not this year, in, in years previous, especially when we get together at my brother's or my sister's. In fact, Christmas gift used to be that I would go to the store and buy food for a few days and it would be a $300 shopping trip and my gift to everyone in the house for the next couple of days was I'm going to cook and feed you. And it was, it was a busman's holiday for sure. Um, but massive, massive amounts of food. Um, at the time, my sister lived in Boston, and by sheer luck, the upstairs apartment was empty, but we had access to it, which for me was fantastic because it was an entirely second kitchen. So I used running up and down the stairs, managing eight burners on two stoves and two ovens on two, on, you know, two different floors. Um, a lot of work. But I I enjoyed it. Made really good bread. I just had a lot of fun. I enjoyed that tremendously. And that that was a good time. Then it was, you know, all food related. And that's that's kind of the thing, at least I think for me, that seems to be one of the main threads that goes through Christmas. And cookies, of course, is the thing. 
And I did uh, a couple of years ago, episode 64 was Christmas cookie episode. And on that uh, show notes page, there is a PDF of, I don't know, maybe eight Christmas cookies that I make. And one of them is another all gluten, which for most people is fine. There is easily the best chocolate chip shortbread cookie I've ever had. And and on the picture for that shown on this page, uh, the bottom left, they're sort of big round. So you, you make the cookie, you, you put it in parchment paper, roll it up, and then you just cut them and bake them like that. And holy, I mean, it's just... It's a fantastic cookie. It's absolutely an amazing cookie. And it doesn't play nice in a gluten-free version. Now, somewhere on my desk, I may or may not have notes from, I think, three years ago. I succeeded mostly pretty well with a gluten-free version. And I'm pretty good about keeping my notes from my baking and cooking procedures because I want to know what it was I did a year later. And for some reason, that one I can't find. So I did them again this year. And so what happens with this particular batch, one, I had a different kind of um, gluten-free mixed flour from what I would normally use because they were out at the store of that particular brand. So I have a different brand, and brand to brand, they are not the same, and that doesn't mean they they just don't respond the same way. But the similar, similarity between these two things is they don't hold a shape. So what happened is instead of the cookie, uh, the gluten version, you cut it, put it on the pan, and it will spread a little bit, but and it will rise a little bit, but it's going to keep its shape. It's going to stay intact. It's going to be what you want from a shortbread cookie, just crumbly deliciousness. Well, these spread a lot and have nearly no volume to them. So they taste fantastic. They look a fright. So they aren't gifts for anybody. They are either ice cream topping or ice cream filling or topping for pancakes or yogurt or who knows what. It's not garbage. It's just not gifts. Um, so cookies remains the same, but now we've had the challenge of having to go gluten-free. And so, uh, I've mostly succeeded and I found a few. I've managed to make, um, probably the single preferred cookie my mom made. And I'm trying to remember, so she would do, she didn't do spritz cookies, but she would did the uh, roll out and cut cookies with sprinkles or icing. Um, she would make a chocolate chip cookie. Um, she, uh, a couple of other things, but the one thing we three kids could not stop eating was her pecan rum balls, which are oddly named since there's no rum in them at all. Uh, most people would call them snowballs. Um, so I've, I've revised that to a gluten-free version, and it is indistinguishable. And they are exactly as they should be. 
And my wife is quite happy about that, and so am I, because it's one of those things that, like those Christmas ornaments, it's, it's a bite. It's that Proustian moment where that single bite, and you're immediately transported somewhere else to some moment in your life, in, in your timeline, and you can suddenly, now this was interesting, it was, I don't know if this is true for everybody, and someone was doing a Twitter thread, when you read in your head, do you hear voices? Now, when I read, I hear the words, quote unquote, um, and I volunteered also, I think this is, I didn't know this, because how would I know, that not everybody dreams in color, and in motion. So when I eat this thing, when that prostate moment thing happens, I can I can hear my grandma. My grandma used to give away raisinets uh, or some other little treat before we leave, and I can I can smell her kitchen. I can hear her voice. I, everything about being in her house for that second exists as if it's actually happening right then and there, and. I don't know if that's the same for everybody, and how how could you possibly compare that? But it's a it's a fun thing when it happens. So when those perfect little Liz's pecan rum balls come out of the oven and they cool, and I take a bite, it's like oh, it's just it's childhood all over again, and it's it's happiness, and that's happiness is a good thing. When we did Christmas, before Christmas, the tree would go up and the decorations would go up. And I remember being quite flamboyant about, <laughs> and frankly being quite silly. Oh, pipe cleaner too. We used to have uh, you know, pipe cleaner ornaments that lasted quite a long time. Um, so decorate the tree and then probably by virtue of being oldest and probably first, uh, my job was we had this to put the gate the fence around the tree it was now i don't know if it was a family-made thing or not we had uh, we had a bowling ball maker not maker he didn't make the balls um you know a bowler he was we're polish what do you want um uh, like a store you know, buy shoes, he'd drill the bowling ball, bowling ball guy store. Um, I don't think we had woodworkers, but there's this little fence that was maybe eight inches tall and had the posts, and into the post would just, you'd place little pegs of of this piece of fence. It's like a picket fence. And then each section of the fence dipped down a little bit, so it would rise up, so with the post, you get this little visual texture. And it was one, two, maybe... Uh, 20 sections, five on a side, and this little square fence run around the tree and then into the space, the pen around the, in the fence, went the gifts. Well, it happened pretty quickly that with three kids and then some stepkids and then friends and relatives that overfilling the space around the tree happened pretty regularly, Yeah. That's a tough lot, huh? But that was my job. And then I think the fence ended up, because my brother had kids before I had kids, and so uh, the fence followed the kids. And so I think now, 
my niece and nephew have that substantially old. Geez, uh, my parents had it before they had me, so that thing's got to be over 60 years old if it's still around. I don't know. I guess I should ask about that. So, this is kind of just Christmas reminiscences and happy ideas and memories of days gone by for me, and, and maybe you can reminisce on those of your own for a few moments. Um, in, in those running up and down the stairs days, and then at my brother's house, one of the things, and it's, um, so we like eggnog, but not, it's rare to find a commercial version that is satisfying. Partly because it is obscenely sweet, and I, I was noticing as I was eating some sweets the other day that we had a party, so someone brought some cookies over. That a couple of years ago I would have hammered that thing, and I took a bite of it, and I, I found it. This is going to sound crazy. I found it flavorless. Of course, it's not. But it was insipid, that's for sure. This is, ah, I don't want this. This is not pleasing. And it's, I, this is not a point of pride. Many years ago, in fact, when I was teaching culinary school at, at, uh, in Florida, the, the place had an odd peculiarity of going through deans very, very, very directors very quickly. But... Uh, for the short time that this particular guy was there, he had a sweet tooth. So we sort of challenged each other to who has the biggest sweet tooth. It's absolutely obscene, but I, I think we're probably even. I could eat a, an inordinate amount of pies and cakes and tarts and torts and things, and that's just not a good thing to do. So I don't do that anymore. So having those, having those cookies like, Oh, this is not good. So I've all that gets to this point that I think I have changed my taste buds, preferences, and tolerances for sugar, which to the point that I know I don't. I my my brain says you want that. My body saying, nah, I don't really want that. I've worked hard to, to not need that, not want that. And so that's a good thing. But I'm still making a few cookies because we have to send them some things out. And on that list of things to make, oh, so this started with egg dog. Um, I have a cooked version. I think it's simply eggnog on the blog that has... So it's it's cooked like a sabayon, and what that means is you're taking egg eggs. I think this one. I think one, I think one of the reasons it was expensive was because it was just egg yolks. So you have to find something to do with the whites: consomme, angel food cake, um, meringues, meringue cookies. Those are good. Um, lots of egg yolks, some sugar, and then booze. Uh, and then cook that over a double boiler to a particular point. And what that usually is, is you're looking for a ribbon 
When you lift the whisk out and let the egg yolk mixture fall back on itself, it leaves a, you can see the path. Uh, and you want to see the path, you want it to look like it's kind of thick instead of disappearing inside. And then you finish this eggnog with some, uh, some half and half to cool down, stop the cooking, and an obscene amount of booze. Now this eggnog tastes good, it will make your legs disappear. Well, we, we found a version online from Alton Brown. I altered it a little bit because it had way too much sugar in it. And for the amount of booze that's in there, it ain't a pathogen alive going to survive that egg dog. But this one doesn't get cooked, which is an interesting thing. Um, so it's eggs, sugar, less for my version. Um, I am sure I added nutmeg to it. Um, probably added cardamom to mine. Uh, and then... Three, a cup of, one cup each of three different bourbons, three different boozes. Bourbon was one of them. Um, and then this is the thing that you put it in, you mix it all up, put it in a container, a, a jar or a, something that seals, and then put it in the fridge for a month or two. So we did this before Thanksgiving. And it starts out very, what, you, what you'd expect, with three cups of booze, a little bit on the harsh raw side. But... Over the course of time in the cooler, it mellows out. It's still three cups of booze, but it it changes to like, whoa, uh, I could take another drink or two of that. Uh, so your legs will disappear also, but it's a whole, it's at least it's not a cooking thing. It's well, pretty stinking good actually. So I'm not sending that away, but I'm going to send some smoked almonds away. And I'm going to do a keto version of spiced pecans. I did that last year, and they're really, they were very, very good. And everybody liked them. Um, smoked almonds I've gotten down. That's pretty good. Uh, a couple of cookies. And, and because I don't seem to be able to help myself, possibly some other thing I'll push myself hard to get done and see what that will be, and I don't know. But anyway, um, one, one thing I'm going to do here, not sending out, is the fudge, because I don't know how that's going to work out. But it will be fun to try, because I talked with uh, Braden a few episodes ago about doing fudge, so I guess i got to give that a shot. All right. So that's going to do it for this episode. I do will get back to, if everything works out, I've got a uh, interview um, on sugar replacement in part. We're going to talk about more stuff than just that. But um, there's a lot of sugar substitutes in keto land. And there's some, I think, important questions to ask about that and about what they are and so if everything happens as it's supposed to that's going to take 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 place and i'm going to continue with uh, the scoffier series into 2023 please take a moment to share this episode on your social media feeds and i would appreciate all that effort to get more listeners and i want to thank you for listening i would thank you for being here i appreciate that and thank also my Patreon supporters. Uh, there is not going to be a chef's table portion on this, and I know I owe you a few things. I keep saying that, but it's because it keeps remaining to be true. Um, and more. So, 
Have a good last week before shopping. And have a Merry Christmas. And I'll see you next week. Music for the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.